right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. It's a Friday for me. I'm going to be out tomorrow and Monday. Uh, going to be out of town, so Nick's going to have you covered. He promised he's going to do three hours tomorrow <laughs> detailing... The uh, 1953 Kansas basketball season and uh, bring you all sorts of great past interviews and and all sorts of things. If he doesn't end up doing it, I think he he owes you all as listeners apologies. We're also going to rebrand the show once again to Nick Chalk Sports (laughs) Talk. So no longer Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're taking it over. We're taking it over. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we're halfway through the Big 12 season now. So, uh, as of after this weekend, that will no longer be the case. Everybody's played nine games in the Big 12. I was mad because last night I did the uh, 1 to 10 bet on Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State beat them on the road. (laughs) So, Oklahoma State swept OU. What's up with that? Um, Anyway, we're halfway through Big 12. I think since we had that discussion about the 1 to 10 bet, it's like loss. I know. We made it too public. (laughs) Everybody stopped betting it. Only me and Nick can can reap the rewards here. So I wanted to do a Big 12 reset to kind of um, go through things where we're at halfway through the season, like yep. what would probably be the all Big 12 teams right now, what's the number we think gets it done to win the Big 12, how many bids does the league get, so, some fun questions we'll go over. We also are going to be joined by Brian Haney at 3.40 here. we got a special guest joining us at 3.30 to talk about some uh, special footballs that you can get a hold of right now. 4 o'clock is our KU Mailbag. If you have any last-second questions, hit us up. Please. On Twitter, at RCC1320. The, the better... Wait, hold on. Hmm? The more random or crazy, the better. Okay. There's one that I'm really excited to get to. We talked yeah. a little yeah. about it yesterday because yeah. it was It was, it very was just fun. too good. It was yeah. too good. We also got a lie detector test coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. So, halfway through the Big 12 play, and uh, I guess we'll start here. What number does it take to win? Because right now, Texas is 7-2, and two, so if you just multiply everything... I mean, 14 would be the number to get it done, but I don't know if you actually believe Texas is going to repeat going 7-2. and two. So what is the number for you that you think gets it done? This is a tough question, and in fact, uh, somebody asked this to Bill Self after the K-State game, and he Bill Self still said that he thought it would be five losses, so 13-5 and five is what he said. I, I think 13-5 and five definitely gets it done, but I think 12-6 and six probably gets you a share, I bet. Pro- probably. Yeah, I think so. And, Ken Palm, and depending on how crazy things get, eleven and seven probably gets you a share. Yeah, Ken Palm right now has Texas twelve and six, Kansas, TCU, Iowa State, K State at eleven and seven, Baylor at ten and eight. But I do agree. I think thirteen and five wins it outright. Yeah, I think twelve and six gets you a share. Probably. Yeah. And you might be saying, well, if you think thirteen and five wins you outright, why would you think twelve and six gets you a share? Well, because I'm assuming that the team that would win thirteen would be the one that would lose. You know, to, to get to twelve. So that's kind of uh, where yeah. I'm at. Yeah. But that would mean if the number to get to at least a share is 12, Texas would have to go 5-4 and four down the stretch. Here's Which their is very schedule. doable. Very, very doable for Texas. At Kansas State, 
at Kansas. Those are the next two games. So if they just lose their next two games, yes, that's it right they're, there. They're toast. But then they're home West Virginia at Texas Tech, who showed a little bit of life in beating Iowa State. Home against Oklahoma. Home against Iowa State. That's a losable game. At Baylor, very losable game. Yep. At TCU, very losable game. Yep. Home against Kansas to finish, very losable game. Yep. So it is very possible they could go 5-4 and four down the stretch. That's Easily. not crazy. Yes. Easily. I think you look at everybody's schedule, though, and you say the same thing. Yeah, no, yeah. I want to get more into depth of this at some point, maybe yeah. tomorrow on tomorrow's show. But yeah, so you look at the top six teams in the conference: Texas, KU, they're just going to beat up on each other. Iowa State, TCU, and Baylor. Four of those six teams have a three-game stretch in which they are playing one or two of the other six teams <laughs> coming up in these next three games. So, do you would you agree though that those six teams you just named, like those are the teams where you would cut it off to say those can win the league? Yeah, would I you think include so. all of them, including Baylor? Yes, I would include Baylor. Okay. In that. I, would I would include too. Baylor. I, I mean, because again, like I just said, if Baylor wins their next two or three games, and you know Texas and KU and K State, whoever loses, then you're there. You're there. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree. so yeah, I think would that's, you I think stretch that's it? Would you stretch it to seventh place Oklahoma State? They could go on a run here. Here's here here's what it is for me. I think right now I would not. They're four and five. I would neither. Here is where I will start to entertain it. They have TCU at home on Saturday. Then they're at Texas Tech home on Wednesday. So if you win both those, they're six six and five. five. You're still at least And then after that at least two games back. Maybe three. Yeah. They're at Iowa State, Kansas at home. If they go three and one in that stretch and they're sitting at seven and six, I don't know, even then, then you have to win out. So no, they're probably out. They're probably out. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can. So it's just those six. Which means the other four teams with Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas Tech are just competing for a NCAA tournament bid. Yeah. Which I think uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, I think Oklahoma State should have a decent chance to make the tournament. The thing with Oklahoma is like they have some impressive wins, but they also have some unimpressive losses. So I, I, I don't know what to do with them. I mean, can you put it can you can you put them in just on the just on the merit of being Alabama, of beating Alabama by thirty, is that good enough to get you in? If you're a bubble team, well, I think you need to at like least. If you're a bubble team, if you're Oklahoma and you're like seventeen and fourteen or whatever, and somebody from the ACC, I don't know, whoever whoever from the ACC is also seventeen and four, like like Virginia Tech, for mm-hmm. instance, Virginia Tech, and they're you know they're seventeen and fourteen or whatever, and Virginia Tech had they beat Duke at home, I think they beat somebody else, another like upper team in the ACC. And then if Oklahoma gets it gets like a win against Iowa State, gets like a win against Texas or Baylor, they have the win against Bama. Are, are they getting in over that over that theoretical ACC team? Mm, I don't know. Here's the problem. I I think that when you just look at the win total, you're going to have to win minimum 7 games in the Big 12. Maybe in West Virginia's case they can get away with six, but but look at it this way: Oklahoma's twelve yeah, I mean, and ten. If you're, if you're six and twelve in conference, that just looks so you bad. You probably don't even deserve to be in the I tournament. Don't, I don't think so, but yeah, here's the problem: so if Oklahoma went six and twelve in conference play, they're two and seven right now. That would mean they finish four and five, which sounds pretty good for them. Like if you told them you can go four and five in a nine game stretch, yeah, that sounds like, pretty okay. good. Yeah, but that would put them at sixteen and fifteen overall. That's, and that doesn't include the Big the tournament. 12 tournament, you're which you're probably losing, right? Yeah, you're not making the tournament. So, yeah, you're not making the tournament. So, for West Virginia's case, they're a game better overall. So, if they go 6-12, and 12, they'd be 17-14. and 14. They would need – I think they'd be in a situation where if they won two Big 12 tournament games maybe. But I think realistically, 
if you're a team trying to make the NCAA tournament, you got to win at least seven games in the conference. So I think that means Oklahoma State has by far the best chance. Yes, because that means that if you're Oklahoma, you have to go five and two, yeah, or, or five and uh, four, probably unlikely. If you're West Virginia, you have to go five and four. That one's not insane because they have been playing better basketball of late. Well, and the the advanced metrics love West yeah. Virginia, love them. I don't I mean, really know why, but they do. Well, Ken Palm has them going seven and eleven in conference play, so it, it's a believer in them being able to get there. But listen, West Virginia's got Oklahoma and then Iowa State both at home. You win both of those, you're four and seven. Mm-hmm. But then you've got you follow that you follow that up with games at Texas and at Baylor. I have to win at least one of those. Yeah, I think what's most likely is those top six who are competing for the title. They're all going to make it, and not only are all of them going to make it, they're all going to be like. Top eight Pretty seeds, high seeds, probably even like top six seeds. Yeah, you know, at this rate, yeah. And then I think it'll just be seven. I I don't think they're going to get to eight. I don't think so. Either. I think there's going to be too many of those good teams beating the Oklahomas of the world. So yeah, my guess is that Oklahoma State would be your seventh, but maybe West Virginia could get in to make it eight. But realistically, it'll be seven. If Oklahoma State is in as like a ten seed, that's a terrible matchup for a seven seed. Yeah, Musa Cisse is just going to be swatting everything in an NCAA yeah, I mean, tournament game. I mean, if they're you know if they're a ten or eleven or a twelve, they're gonna make a run, definitely. <clears throat> I definitely, and I don't even know if it's like a bad idea. I don't know, probably a good idea. I'm going to when my when the bracket comes out this year, I'm going to be like loading up on the Big Twelve. Yes, one hundred percent. Conference is just so good, man. Well, the ACC stinks. The Big Ten. Stinks. The Pac-12, besides Arizona and UCLA, I think stinks. Like everybody else, just stinks. <laughs> the SEC is like kind of good, I guess. And the Big Twelve mashed them seven to three. Yeah, and the Big been Twelve should have been eight to two. Yeah, TCU. Well, and like I'm thinking back to the the uh, NCAA tournament last year. How many Big Twelve teams made this week? You had Texas Tech in the Sweet Sixteen, so that's one. You had Kansas. Iowa State, Kansas. Yep. So that's three. Should three Big 12 teams make the Sweet 16? If I put the over-under at three and a half, for how many Big 12 teams make the Sweet 16, what are you taking? I feel very comfortable taking the over there. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I can four of those six Big 12 contenders make it? Yeah, probably. probably. And that it could even just be three of those six. And then, like, for instance, Iowa State was an 11 seed that made it. Like maybe, like you said, Oklahoma State's a uh, ten seed, or West Virginia gets in. Yeah, but I, I could easily see Texas choking in the tournament. Sure. And like, I have faith that Baylor could get to like the second round or the Sweet Sixteen. I don't know if they go any further, but I guess if they get to the Sweet Sixteen, you know. I think I would take the over. Think so. I mean, if you have seven or eight teams in the NCAA tournament, and six of them are teams that we think are Final Four good. Doesn't mean they're going to be expected to make the Final Four, but can you really think all six teams that are competing are Final Four good? Yes. Really? Yes. Um, Have I you mean, watched just, Iowa State recently? I know, but like also Caleb Grail was out for one of those games and he's been playing through injury. And like Iowa State, they just they play such good defense. And when the shooters are hitting, that's all it takes. Hey, I, to be clear, fine. again, to be clear, I don't think I, I'm not going to pick Iowa State to make a Final Four, but like, like I think back to that South Carolina like is, team. Is TCU a going of to the ago. Final Four? Again, they're a team that, like we've said, their A plus game is is right up Pretty there good. with a lot of the other teams. But are they going to the Final Four? I, again, I think you're misinterpreting. K State going to the Final Four? I'm not, 
necessarily picking all of them, but in the right situation, I think any of them could get hot enough for four games and make it. Yes. I mean, we saw... I mean, Baylor's defense is terrible. K-State's defense is. is terrible. But, like, Baylor has the guard play in March. Could they get hot for four games? Sure. K-State has two key players, one who's a guard in March. We've seen K-State get hot for four-game samples before at the beginning of Big 12 play. Iowa State, same thing. I Any of those teams, any of those teams can make the Final Four. They really can. I don't know that I'm ready to make that statement. Okay. Again, doesn't mean I'm picking it, but like... I do think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to winning on the road and defending your home home floor. Like Bill Self said, has said, try to go 500 on the road. So five and four, four and five. And if you do that, you're going to have a pretty good shot to win the Big 12. So what is Kansas right now? They're six and three overall. Kansas is four and two on the road in conference. And they're uh, oh no! My is bad. that right? I was no, 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 say. no. They're two and two on the road in conference. So they they played more home games than than road games. That's a little scary for the second half. They are four and one at home and two and two on the road. So can you go four and zero at home down the second half? Can you go at least two and three on the road? That means you oh, have or to be three and two. Well, if yeah, you go yeah. two and three, you're and you're if you 12. go yeah. So if you go four and zero at home, it means you have to beat Texas, Baylor. And West, West Virginia, Virginia and Texas Tech. And Texas Tech at home. Those last two, so two you should be able to do. Easier. Texas Baylor are going to be very tough. Probably. For the road games, the one you circle, if you're saying you got to win at least two, maybe three. At Iowa State Saturday, at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State, at TCU, at Texas. Without a doubt, the two most likely should be the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. But we also see the Bill Self special every year. KU loses at Oklahoma State. So I don't know what to do with that. Last year was obviously different. Um, so basically, win one of... Iowa State, TCU, or Texas, and you're and then win at, feeling pretty decent. Probably. Yeah, if you win one of those three, and then you win at least one of two, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and if you you're win one of the good. other ones, you're good. You're feeling pretty but good. But that also means you have to hold serve at home. So there's kind of the path to to getting it done from what we think. Um, Which, how that's, many, not, that's not crazy at all. That's no. pretty doable. How many all-Big 12 first-team candidates do you think KU has? Uh, one. Only Jalen Wilson. I think... I don't know. Like, the Dewan Harris one is tough because the stats aren't going to be there, so he's not going to get it. Grady's slump that he's had is is lasted long enough to where I don't think he can get on it. I think you're right. Like, for Grady to make it, he was going to have to average, like, 17 points, like, six rebounds, and I just don't think that's going to happen unless he gets hot again here, which is impossible. Not happening for KJ. Yeah. So probably just Jalen for the first team. I mean, I I don't know. McCuller's going to have the stats, I think. I don't think he'll have the efficiency, the shooting he percentages. He is going to have, I mean, Not for if coaches team. watch Kansas, they will see that McCuller is, is a linchpin of the defense. He's a, a very important player. But not for first but team. I mean, he's, yeah, but it, I think you're right. He's not going to have the efficiency. Like, he's going to have the, he's, he's going to have what, like 13, 14 no, points I think, a game? I don't even know if that much, but like Marcus Nine Garrett, rebounds. Marcus Garrett is junior year. Averaged, it was like nine and a half points, four and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. He led KU in assists on the team that was number one in the country, and he was the best defender, perimeter defender in the country. I think he was only third team. Yeah, so I don't think McCullough will be first team. Yeah, probably not. Now, as far as if you're looking at like the all Big 12 team right now, first team, I think you're looking at a majority of like point guards, honestly. Because when you look at the centers, there are no centers that are going to make the first team. There's just not. No. So Jalen Wilson, Keontae be, Johnson, and Kevin O'Banner are kind of your ones that 
you're looking at going, they'll be the forward, or if they have two. But Kevin O'Banner, Tech's been so bad, I don't think he'll make the first team. So I think you're maybe looking at like Jalen Wilson. Yep. Keontae Johnson. Yep. And then the collection of guards is going to be tough. Mike okay. Miles, I feel like, will get on there, but maybe it depends how TCU does. Same well, for Marcus he's Carr. Also, he's also hurt now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Marcus Carr, um, Marquise Noel. Grant Shurfield. Yeah, Grant Shurfield. Gabe averaging over 18 a game in conference take, play. Take your pick of Baylor's guards. Yeah. One of, at least one of Baylor's guards is getting on. The thing that I think might hold the Baylor guards off the first team is that some people might vote for like, oh, I think Keontae George is the guy. That's true. I might think, they might get and they might just up. cannibalize. Yeah, but also like, Keontae George is the one putting up the biggest numbers, like the most points and, and other stats, but he's also shooting 38% from the floor. Then you have Adam Flagler, who's the most efficient, but he's only getting like 14 points and not very many counting stats. Same for LJ Cryer. So I wonder if those guys are all going to be like second and third team. I think right now, I would assume the first team is going to be would be Jalen Wilson, Keontae Johnson, Mike Miles, Marcus Carr, and then Marquise Noel. Really? I think I would lean toward that. And then you'd have Grant Sherfield and Gabe Kalsher would be the first two that missed. I think Kalsher could get on there. He very well could. he shoots well enough from three. Yeah, he very well could. Season. But also it's like hard because if I if I take off Marcus Carr, you're saying the team that right now is winning the league wouldn't have somebody on the first team? No, I think you take off uh, Marquise Noel. He could. I mean, he's he's. It's easier for I think us to say that because we've seen him struggle to different guards against <laughs> KU, but like against everybody else, he's torched them. You know. <laughs> so I think for other people, it's going to be I a hard time taking him off. Thanks. But then that would leave you with the second team. You either have Noel or Kalsher, whichever one you're you're not going with. Uh, yep. Then you'd have Sherfield. Yep. Um. Probably Flagler, Keontae George, maybe. Yeah, some Baylor guys. Kevin O'Banner would probably get on there. And then maybe you have like Damian Baugh or Jaron Holmes at Iowa State. Or KJ Adams. Maybe team? that's where Dewan Harris or KJ Adams. KJ Adams. Oh, yeah, same team. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. And then third team is some collection of whoever's left off, like maybe an Eric Stevenson, maybe a Tyrese Hunter, maybe a Emmanuel Miller, Timmy Allen, Trey Mitchell, um, Tanner Groves, maybe something like that. But I think when you look at it, Kansas has. One true candidate right now, one on the fringe with Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson for the first team. For second and third team, Grady Dick will probably be on one of those. Dewan Harris, I feel like, will get on one of those. And then, like, KJ and Kevin are a little dependent on how this thing finishes. Yeah. I think Kevin could, I mean, even if he's a, even if he's, has bad efficiency numbers, he could probably get them. I think all five KU starters are going to at least get an honorable mention, babe. get on 13. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that is our uh, Big 12 reset. We're going to take a timeout. We got Brian Haney joining the show in 15 minutes from right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, though, we're going to be joined uh, by Bob Ibach, who uh, has some cool like Chiefs footballs that we're going to um, talk about. So he's going to call into the show here in about five minutes from right now. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Rivalry at the Rink is coming back to Cable Dahmer Arena this year. It's going to be on a Thursday in the middle of February, February 16th. You can get tickets on sale now with a uh, special group pricing if you want eight or more 15% off. 
Get your tickets at CableDomerArena.com for Kansas versus Missouri. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us now on the show. And Kansas, since losing three straight, has won two in a row. They win at Kentucky, then they win earlier this week over Kansas State. And one of their more all-around games in the win over Kansas State, winning by 12. The bench showed up. A lot of different starters came together. Does it feel like to you Kansas has turned the corner from last week? And and if so, or or whether or not, what do you see as being the biggest differences as to what's gone on these last two games from what went on the first three games? Well, first off, Derek, if the connection cuts out, let me know if we need to reestablish. I'm only hearing every other word on this end. But um, as far as have we turned the corner, I, I think clearly it's been a very, really positive step in the right direction to see K.J. Adams, DeWan Harris, and Kevin McCuller return to their confidence, aggressive, attacking selves offensively and really on both ends of the floor. Kevin McCuller with back-to-back double-doubles has been a huge difference maker in these two wins over two different Wildcat teams. And obviously, DeWan Harris, you know, starting with the two threes he hit in the first half in Lexington and then carried all the way through his performance versus the K-State game has looked much more like the DeWan we've all come to know and love. And to see what K.J. Adams was able to do against Oscar Shibway, going 8 of 10 from the floor, 17 points, great to see him back. And so, you know, you add that to uh, a little more punch off the bench with the 19 bench points the other night versus the Wildcats, some growing confidence for Ernest Uday and Zach Clements, particularly Uday in, in both of the last two games, but Clements really versus K-State in particular. I mean, these are all really good signs that we're answering some of the biggest questions that the three of us were, were batting back and forth the last two weeks when I came on the show. What's going on with Juan? How come Kevin McCullers been passive of late? When are we going to see more out of our bench? When's another big man going to emerge? Now listen, it's, it's not like all of this is completely in the rearview mirror. Guys can still have ebbs and flows to the highs and lows of their respective seasons, but to see how much more complete of a team we look like when those three starters in particular are, are attacking aggressively and hunting their shots and not just deferring to Jay Will or watching him do his thing, Yes, Kansas absolutely once again looks the part of a team that should be on the one line come selection Sunday, and thoughts of that three-game slide are are certainly in the rearview mirror. But you could just as easily suffer back-to-back losses knowing how tough the slate is from here, most notably these next two. So got to stick to all those things that they've been doing of late because, man, it's felt good to play from out in front, lead for more than 30 minutes in each of these last two games, Put a team away with a little bit of separation as opposed to all these nail biters where it could have easily gone the other way with one bounce of the ball. So it has been a sight for sore eyes and something great to see, and hopefully it's just the start of a big month of February still to come. Well, you talked about Ernest and Zach, and Ernest playing really well the last two games. Sounded like Bill Self was very pleased with what Zach Clements is doing at his uh, presser earlier today. When you look at the bench situation, it it was one of the best games we've seen, 19 points against Kansas State. How do you view if both those guys with Uday and Clements are playing well? Like, How do you you think Kansas is going to handle this going forward? Do you think we see some more lineups of K.J. Adams playing the four like we saw for a few minutes against Kansas State? I guess, what does this allow for Kansas to do? Well, it'll depend on the matchup, certainly, but I said this on the broadcast the other night, Kansas looked like Kansas 
with Ernest Uday in there the other night. And what I mean by that is typically in 20 seasons of Big 12 basketball, we've had a big man that physically was imposing and could force and impose his will on the opposition just based on his sheer stature and physical dominance. And to see Uday mix it up with some of the bigs of Kentucky with those big alley-oop rim-running finishes and towering above some guys to get key rebounds and blocks in the Kansas State game, that kind of felt like Kansas again. And I'm not saying he's going to become Yudoka or Joel or Jeff Withy overnight, but it gave us something a little more imposing. And then Zach has been a bit of a head-scratcher throughout the season, and Self was pretty honest today in his comments in saying that yeah, it was a coin flip back in the preseason as to whether or not Zach would start. And so the fact that he's not come alive until only recently has been disappointing. And it has been uh, fall, falling far short of what they would have projected for him. But he's kept plugging. And right now they like what they're seeing out of him on a daily basis. And while you hate to have the injury to Zuby, you never want to say an injury is a good thing. If anything, it's, it's forced Coach Self and his staff to give more extended stretches to both Ernest and Zach, which might have been exactly what they needed, both in practice and in the games, to get a little more continuity out there on the floor, a little more consistency and momentum rolling. And, you know, Zuby's still going to come back at some point. Will roles be entrenched and established by then? Hard to say. Maybe so. Coach said today it could be at least two more weeks. But in that time, if you could start to see some separation with the identity and roles of, of Ernest Uday and Zach Clements, that might be just what this Kansas team needed to where we're not truly talking about the hot hand every single day. Well, who was better in practice the day before? Who was more focused at shoot around on the day of the game? Who had the most recent good game stretch in real minutes? Hopefully we can see those guys start to carve out more consistent roles because clearly that's been something we've lacked. And you hate it that a tough luck injury uh, is, is what may have opened the door for something like that. But in order for that negative to become a positive, the other two guys have to run through that door and seize that opportunity. And so far they have these last couple of games. Going along with the Ben's discussion and kind of you highlighted the injuries as well, Kansas has kind of been hit in a couple different areas with injuries. You talked about Zuby. Uh, MJ Rice sounded like he wasn't able to go in their most recent game. You have Kevin McCuller dealing with, dealing with a couple of ailments. Bobby kind of came up uh, lame a little bit with his hamstring, I think, at, towards the end of the K-State game. Does, does that kind of concern you at all, or do you think this is a situation where Kansas can kind of work through this, or how do you, how do you view the, uh, the injury situation for KU right now? Uh, concerning, yes. Scale of 1 to 10, maybe a 4. You know, it's not keeping anybody up at night because, as Bill Self said today, he expects both Bobby and Kevin to be available for Saturday's game. And yet, when he spoke prior to the media, uh, you know, session wrapping up and practice beginning, his expectation was that neither would practice today. That could change. I don't know. We're doing this interview. I'm sitting in my office. I'm not out on the floor right now. But, but he was saying that he didn't expect them to practice, but that hopefully they would tomorrow and would be available on Saturday. So it's concerning, but it's not like you're already ruling guys out. Uh, and he said, you know, the status of Zuby is not yet in the day-to-day category. It's still probably a couple of weeks away, but it could have been much, much worse with that injury. So they feel like they dodged a bullet there. Uh, the Cam Martin thing and the Kyle Cuff injury updates, he doesn't expect either of them to, you know, 
have much of a chance to impact this Kansas season, uh, you know, unless something really drastic happened. Because he said, while they're both at 80%, that final 20% is the toughest 20% to get all the way back. And at this point, we're so close to the stretch run, it's going to be hard for either of them to impact where we're at. But we've known about those situations for a while, and Kansas has adjusted to life without them, you know, for months now. So the fact that we're talking about a finger injury with one guy and a slight tweak with Bobby that he shouldn't miss game time for. All things told, it's a concern, but it's not nearly as bad as, say, missing Mike Miles for a full game or some of these other league injuries where Caleb Grill sat out the Mizzou game. It's not quite to that category just yet. But for a guy like McCuller, who's had a serial history of, of ankle injuries, they were really grateful that the ankle roll in Lexington did not cause him to miss time. And when you compound that with a right index finger injury, clearly we got some guys bumped and bruised, and you just hope it stays in that category of nicks and bumps and, and nothing that deals with you know, significant time missed. Kansas takes on Iowa State on Saturday. Pre-game will start at 9.30 with the Jayhawk Radio Network. Tip-off at 11 o'clock. You can hear it here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. This will be the second meeting with Iowa State, which I find kind of funny you play Iowa State and Kansas State twice before you play Texas even once coming up on Monday. But uh, as far as what we saw in the first meeting with the Cyclones, what kind of stood out to you? What are you kind of expecting? And, and what is interesting to you in this matchup with the Cyclones on Saturday? You know, I just got off a, another radio interview and, and somebody was making the observation to me that they don't really pass the eyeball test. They don't really wow you when you see the Cyclones getting off the bus. And my retort to him was, well, with a six six five man and a point guard that weighs 160 soaking wet, Kansas doesn't exactly you know, wow you that much either. Now, we, we still have the lottery pick projected or first-round projected Grady Dick, who's 6'8", and looks the part. And Jalen Wilson's a first-team All-American projection that looks the part. But the point is, Iowa State just gets it done, regardless of whether or not they impress you walking through an airport. Uh, you, you look at Gabe Kalsher, and Bill Self said today he's really emerged as one of the very best players in our league. And if that sounds like hyperbole, just take a look at what he's been doing in conference play. This is a guy that, you know, overall on the season is only averaging about 13 a game. But if you look in the league, he's north of 18 per game. And if you look in the league, you know, the, the numbers efficiency-wise have gone well up. He's shooting nearly 42% from three. And Caleb Grill in the league is 46% from three. And they do a really good job of turning teams over and capitalizing on those turnovers. That was a big theme three weeks ago when we faced them, when they were leading the nation in that regard. And so they find a way to make their opposition play bad. I know they've lost four or six right now and just gave up a huge lead and their their loss there in Lubbock that has them smarting a bit, but uh, still, very capable team. I think Lipsy is a great story considering he wasn't projected to be the starter this year. It was an injury to one of their transfer portal guys that opened the door and forced Otzelberger to go with a true freshman starting point guard for the second consecutive season, and he's worked out really impressively. And Grill, obviously, as I referenced, great shooter that, uh, thank goodness he missed from 25 feet straight on in the first meeting, and we might be talking about uh, you know, Kansas in a different spot in the lineup, uh, in the standings right now, as that was just a two-point Kansas win, and he went for the win on the final shot of the game. So, they've got several pieces. I, I think that, you know, Holmes is impressive, but one of things I remember from the first meeting was that Robert Jones missed a lot of bunnies inside and 
They, they didn't have, you know, the, the type of big man rim finishing presence that scares you by any means. I, I look for them to you know, continue to be more guard led in this matchup Saturday, but hopefully for their sake, be a little bit better in finishing around the rim. Kansas was fortuitous in that game. And also quite frankly, on Tuesday, how many bunnies did the K-State bigs miss? Uh, we counted at least four on the broadcast and in a 12-point game. That's a big deal. So uh, hopefully Kansas can continue to play good paint defense. And obviously the six blocks between Ernest and Zach were helpful. But we've also seen some flat-out point-blank misses by these two teams. And hopefully that continues for KU on Saturday. This will be the last time we talk to you before the Texas game, too. So might as well ask just because – that one obviously is so big, and I, I know the team's not looking ahead to it or anything, but a uh, big Monday with Texas. Uh, we'll see whether that game is for first in the Big 12, but I, either way, it's it's two of the top teams competing for the title on Monday night. Um, Texas, obviously, you know, unique situation with what went down there with the Chris Beard stuff. Uh, they got a very athletic team, some similar faces last year to a team that beat Kansas in, in Austin and, and almost came through with the senior day upset against Kansas and Lawrence. What sticks out to you about the Longhorns coming up on Monday? Well, that other true freshman point guard that Otzelberger rode all the way to the Sweet 16 last year that I was referencing earlier is now obviously playing for the Longhorns, and uh, I gushed about him all last season, Tyrese Hunter. He's been a great addition on top of other portal guys from last season like Carr and uh, obviously Allen continues to be a, a big time player for them who gave Kansas fits a year ago. They're a veteran team with experience and confidence. I'm so impressed with how they, they've kept the arrow pointed upward despite all of the distractions of what went down with Coach Beard. And I'll be honest, and, and this is no you know former Texas Tech bias because I never worked for Chris Beard. I was on campus literally for about six weeks before I left for KU and, and when he'd been hired coming in from UNLV. But just seeing what he did at Tech, I thought when he went to Texas, knowing their facilities, their new stadium coming in, their resources, their geography, I thought he was going to build a juggernaut there and it was going to be a problem uh, You know, until obviously they left for the SEC. Here's the truth of the matter. I mean, obviously he's gone, and it's going to be tough to sustain this, but the roster he built is, is still very much intact, and they've not batted an eye in, in terms of uh, you know resetting their expectations or their trajectory within this season. They're currently projected as a two-seed. They're the team we're all looking up at in the Big 12 standings right now. Uh, competent Kansas fans might say, well, they're first only because they haven't played us yet, and that might be true, but when I look at, all the different ways they can beat you with a myriad of weapons, and they're all so savvy and experienced. This is a really, really good basketball team, and just a, a ton of credit to the the assistants that have all stepped up because it's it's not just about interim; it's about everybody pulling a little bit harder on that rope when you have an in-season dismissal like that. I went through something similar at Tech my first year when Billy Gillespie left mere weeks before the season opener, and everybody had to step up into a bigger role. And so, you know, everybody's talking about Jerome Tang and, and Otzelberger with the great coaching jobs and great stories in college basketball. Texas being able to survive that should they finish in, in consideration and contention for the Big 12 title, I mean, that's, that's about as good of a story in, in terms of turning a negative into a positive as you'll find in college hoops this year. So Monday will be big. And last thing I'll say, and I know we've got to get out, but uh, 
I mean, if, if you do handle your business here, you're certainly not winning the league race in the next two games. You've got seven more games after that, all of which are, are losable. But you get that inside pole position. If this is a horse race and you're the jockey and you're trying to move ahead of the horses around you, you're taking that turn and you're grabbing the inside pole position. And knowing that you've got to close in Austin with arguably your toughest game as your last, it's this 48-hour stretch from Saturday to Monday night where you could really seize that inside pole position and have other teams looking up at you. Doesn't mean it's a coast to the finish line. It's going to be a grind. But, but this is your chance. And because you had to play K-State and Iowa State early and you won't get chances to do any more direct control your own destiny with the Wildcats and Cyclones, you better lock it down while you can and see if you can be the team everybody's chasing by this time next week, not two games back and hoping for help. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the call of the action on Saturday and Monday against Texas. Brian, appreciate the time as always. And uh, before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Always fun coming on with you. Congrats to uh, to your Chiefs. I know you're big Chiefs fans, uh, Nick especially. So congrats <laughs> to you guys. It's going to be fun to preview the Super Bowl next week maybe. But, yeah, Nate Miller, much like Patrick Mahomes, Bill Self, Andy Reid, and all the gang, he's got a game plan too, and he's got a game plan for your financial future. So whether you have a portfolio set up now or you'd like to put one together, he'd love to sit down with you. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Lawrence owned and operated, highly invested in local organizations. They're great people, and they want to work with you. Thanks so much, fellas, and we'll talk next week. All right, that's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, here on Saturday, pregame 9.30, tip-off 11 o'clock here on KLWN. Cue the disclaimer. Ryan is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, one hour down. Two to go with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU Mailbag, next. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We uh, have a lie detector test coming up in the five o'clock hour. Got some uh, KU football recruiting news that we'll get to in the five o'clock hour, too. But uh, right now, I think this has been dubbed before by Nick as his favorite segment. Of the week. Dude, best segment of the week right here. Come on. There we go. First, looking for the perfect destination for your next <clears throat> social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered. It is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Venue 1235, located right off I-70, just five minutes from downtown Lawrence. You know why it's the best segment of the week? Why is that? Because we get to interact with our great fans and great listeners and get to have some fun a little bit. There That's we go. That's what I love most about it. All right, let's get to it then. KU Mailbag for the week. First up, from Frank. Coach Self always calls out his dislike of the late January Big 12 SEC Challenge game. But more times than not, it has been pivotal in the direction of the team's March success and failure, and it's almost always a positive resume game. Should we seek a replacement for the challenge? Yeah, that's interesting because you look at the last two years. Last year, it was a big loss that maybe kind of sparked the run that then became the national championship. Yeah, like it was it was it was sort of like the the was it, trying to think of the right know, word, a good like turnaround a, like a cathartic yeah, moment like, where it, it was it like, was an important moment for the team realizing what they needed to do to yes, win yes. and that they weren't the best team in the country okay, necessarily. Yeah, yeah if they don't play well. And right? this year 
I guess depending on how the rest of it plays out, the Kentucky game might be looked back on as literally the turning point after a three-game losing streak. You beat Kentucky, and then you go on a run in the Big 12, whatever or whatever happens next, right? So that, I mean, it, it, either way, it could be significant. Uh, this is a, kind of a tough question, though, because I don't know, like, what I, I just, I'm not quite sure what you would replace it with. Because you already have the Champions Classic that you play to start the year. So it's like, you'd like to have something like this in the middle of the season to, to break up. I think it's, uh, undoubtedly, it's good for breaking up Big 12 play, right? But... On the flip side, from the perspective of Kansas at least, it's kind of always the same matchup. You guys either get in Kentucky or like what Tennessee. There's there was like a Texas A&M randomly in there like, one year. You know, so I don't know, but I, I think it's just one of those things that Bill Self can bemoan it all he wants, but I think it's probably fine. I think in the current iteration of the Big Twelve, you don't necessarily need it because there's so many good games that there's so many tough opponents and so many tough games. So you want to get rid of it. Well, they are getting rid of it. It's no more. Oh, yeah. That's this right. year. This that's is last right. year. Um, so I don't think you need it, is what I'm saying, because basically that game would have been replaced by another re- important game. Are they replacing it with anything? Um, or not? I can't remember if they. Like they announced anything? Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, there's the Big East one that they're doing right now. Uh, it would make a lot of sense if, if they did something. I don't know what it would be. But I guess but my point is that, you, that I don't think you need it right now. Like, I don't think you need it at the end of January. But do you agree that it's a nice game to have where you're not in conference play do you like that or do you not like that i mean there is something nice about it and to the point that frank's making about it having a a key impact on the season like go back to the 2016 version that was the very first season of it playing kentucky kansas had lost three of five games three stray road games they lost by 13 points at iowa state they were reeling a bit and they played kentucky at home and they beat them in overtime and that started a run where kansas won 10, 13, 16, 17 strike games. Wow. So that certainly turned around the season. Um, yeah. And honestly, like a majority of the Big 12 SC challenges have been, uh, last year was kind of the one exception, a pretty telltale sign about how that team would do. Like 2017, they win at Kentucky. That ended up being a dominant team that just made it all the way to the Elite Eight, blowing everybody out. And then unfortunately the Elite Eight happened, but it was still a very good team. You look at the uh, 2018 team. That team um, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, who did they play that year? Texas A&M, and, and they beat them by 11. So they beat them handily. That team made the Final Four. Meanwhile, you look at like the 2019 team, Dedrick Lawson, that team lost at Kentucky in kind of a game you were never in, like 71-63. to So um, I guess on one on one hand, it, it could be beneficial, but also I just wonder if how many of those results have more so been less about, hey, you won or lost this game, therefore you're going to go on a run, or the opposite of that. I almost view it more as like, when you've won those games, you have showed what type of team you are that year. Maybe I'm off on that. Um, I I guess I just, I don't think you need it to be one of those games at the end of January. If you want to add a, a Big 12, Big Tw- or Big 10 challenge. A Big 12, Big 12 Yeah, right. And do it in the middle of December. I'm totally fine with that. Um, it is kind of cool, like you said, to have a little bit of an off game in January. And I do think that there is something cool over the idea that it's one thing to play a good team in the non-con. Like we saw this with Indiana, where you think it's a really good game, and then Indiana a month later ends up not being very good. <laughs> so there is something cool about playing it in the end of January where you, you have a better know. feel for how good the team yeah, is. You kind of know. But also because the Big 12 is so good, this isn't 
like, hey, if you weren't playing the Big 12 SEC Challenge that weekend, you would be playing, you know, some crappy team. No, you're going to be playing a good opponent. Yeah. And that can help turn your season around, too. So I'm not too concerned about it. Next up from Brian. Not Brian Haney, I don't believe. Actually, I know for a fact, (laughs) not Brian Haney. Uh, How late is too late to have your Christmas lights up? I saw a lot of Christmas lights still on in Lawrence last night. Okay. I feel like you're going to have harsh opinions on this. No, I don't have harsh opinions. What do you mean? I have two thoughts. Okay. (laughs) Two thoughts on this. Number one, it depends on the type of decoration slash Christmas lights. Okay. If you have one of these, one of those like inflatable snowmen in your front yard, or like the Santa, this or like the Mm -hmm. Santa in a sleigh and whatnot, any or any any more like oh kind of I don't want to say over the top, but you know more more of those types of decorations. Okay. Those need to be down by like the week of New Year's, I think. So get those out of the way. Second thought. When it comes to just traditional like lights on the roof, Christmas lights, whatever, which is kind of what more Brian's referring to here. I think it depends on the weather. I think if you have a really, really cold January, you kind of get a pass, and it's fine. You can leave them up for January. But I do think that they, they need to be removed by the next major holiday, which is Valentine's Day. What about so you have MLK February Day? 14th. What do you have against MLK Day? The next, I don't know. Valentine's Day is okay. the cutoff. Okay. Valentine's Day is the cutoff. So, like this year, for instance, it's been pretty cold in January. Mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with having your lights still on. Right. Whatever. Valentine's Day is probably the cutoff. You need to take them down. Pick a warm day. It's going to be pretty warm this week. Pretty warm next week. Pick a day. Take them down. I feel like this is, to me, it's it's trying to take them down by the end of January. And I think this is the perfect weekend. I know this is actually technically February, but like. <clears throat> You don't have the excuse of being like, well, I'm watching football all day. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, there's no football. You just, That's true. I guess from like, a schedule standpoint, right, every weekend Sunday. you're going to have, Sunday. you know, either it's like, the oh, playoffs play football, or, like KU, right? you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That That's makes from sense. a sports perspective no, of that, things, that makes which sense. That makes sense. doesn't apply for everyone. Um, so I don't know. I'm fine. If I think I took mine down. We took ours down. It was like the second week of January because the... I, I say leave them up definitely through New Year's. Yes. Like, I think 100%. that just makes sense yes. to me. You can and even then, leave up the snowman stuff through New Year's. Yeah. So and then the but first, the first week of New Year's, your your big, your major decorations need to be done. Yeah. No more frosted snowman. No more Santa. Those are all gone. Sure. The lights are fine, though, if it's cold. Until well, also, the end of January, February. I think once we got after the first week of January, we just didn't turn them on. They were there. We just hadn't taken them down yet. That's another but, I mean, strategy you could use. If you, you know, just, if you don't turn them on, it's like they're not there. At the same point in time, like I go on Mass Street, and I don't know if they're, I haven't been on Mass Street in like a week or two. Um, but like I go on Mass Street, and it looks really cool at night when all the lights are there. Yeah, no, that's fine. So is that different? No, no, Mass no. Street those are like, always have lights. Those are like holiday lights. I think there should just be night lights on Mass Street. Just like night. Oh, do they whatever. just look cool? You're walking no, around and you have. I right? agree with that. No, I agree with that. But honestly, like I'm not somebody who's super strict on this. If if somebody has their Christmas lights up and it's the second week of February, it's like okay, well, whatever. If they're not That's down by Valentine's Day, I will find you. Okay, so Nick is going to eventually be the leader of a homeowners association. We no, found that out no. in this conversation. <laughs> okay, uh, this one from Steve. Do you think the few minutes of K.J. Adams at the four against Kansas State is a lineup they could use to mitigate some of the bench guard concerns? Okay. It's an interesting idea. Saw a little bit against K-State. Here's what I think right now. Number one, I know Ernest has had a couple consecutive games of looking pretty good, but I don't think he's quite fully there enough to say, like, yes, let's roll with that lineup for, like, extended periods of time in a game. That's number one. Number two is... 
KU's high pick and roll, which has been a pretty big aspect of their offense, is by far most effective between KJ and Dewan. They have a lot of chemistry together. They clearly know each other really well. They know which one of them is going to do what in that. And that's a very, very critical aspect of running that. And they are the most effective with it. Now, if you let Ernest play the five some more, and maybe he and Dewan can build up that same level. But Dewan and KJ have that level already. And that works really well for them. But if Ernest strings together some more games of really effective uh, five-man play, then this might be viable. And I think also it'll probably be matchup-based, too. I think, to me, it's kind of dependent on you would have to play Zach Clements at the five. I not don't Ernest? think the lineup where you have KJ at the four, Ernest at the five, there's not enough shooting. shooting-wise. Yeah, there, there's just not enough. Now, I do think... I didn't consider that. Recently, we've seen Jalen Wilson playing like 38 to 40 minutes every game. Yeah. It'd be kind of nice to, you know, maybe have a game where he has 30 or 32. So, like, roll out, like, Zach, KJ, Zach five for five minutes, KJ Kevin. four for four minutes. Because offensively, basically at that point, KJ's playing the five on offense. You still have that pick and roll stuff. Zach okay. is a stretch four at that point. And on defense, you put Clements as the five. KJ can switch around as the four. I think that can work a little. And I honestly think that, you know, maybe if we're looking ahead to next year when Jalen Wilson's gone, what if KJ does move to the four? Like, that might be your most viable way of playing him at the four. You have to have good shooters around him at that point, And having a shooting center would certainly help in that way. Um, and, and this would help some of the bench guard concerns. Because think about it. If, if KJ's now chipping off you know, five minutes a game at the four position, that's five less minutes you have to give to, you know, one of your four men, which means maybe Jalen plays five more minutes as the three, and then that's five less minutes that Kevin McCuller gets as the three, that's five more minutes that Kevin McCuller gets at the two, and then you have five less minutes to give out to, like, Bobby or Joe or something. I, I It just, like, works okay. its way up the line. I wasn't line. quite sure where we were going with that. Basically, just, I don't know. Because the time, the, the minutes don't just disappear. No, no. You still got to have, you still got to, Still going to add up to 40 or whatever. Yeah, but basically it would be like, take away five minutes from KJ playing the center position. That now goes to one of the bench centers. And okay. those, and then he earns so back another five so basically, minutes from one of the guards. You're kind basically. of leaning into the second part of his question about if the guards, the bench guards are not performing well. This is, one this way, is to, a way to yeah. alleviate that. Yeah, I guess. But, but honestly, I don't really expect to see that lineup a ton the rest of the season. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of forgot about the angle of if you roll out Ernest and KJ, you don't have any. I don't think you have enough shooting. No, you have if if you roll out a lineup of Ernest and KJ, you have to for those minutes basically play lockdown defense and just crash the boards <laughs> like that. And maybe that's that's an okay way of doing it with KJ and Ernest going yeah, for the boards. Like maybe be. you'd get a ton of offensive rebounds. Could I don't be. know. Yeah. Uh, this one from Scott. What would be the absolute worst concert you could be forced to go to? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not really, I've never really been like a huge concert guy. I mean, the, the genre of music that I am least enthused by would be country probably. So I guess a country concert. Cause I just, I just wouldn't fit in with that. Like I'd just be, yeah, I just wouldn't fit in. Everybody would be wearing like jeans and cut off flannels and cowboy hats. I like that the like, first article whatever. of clothing you went to is jeans, which is like the most popular like set of pants people can wear. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I, I a country concert, though. I'm not like a big country person either, but I, I would be fine going to a country concert. Okay, I, I don't survive. mind it either. You'd yeah. survive. 
for me, it's it's, and I don't necessarily have a specific band. Like I, I guess I could choose one. Uh, just like death metal. I, I okay. wouldn't be like if I go into like a Limp Biscuit concert like that. That I don't think that would go well for me. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I just everybody's like bobbing their head and they're all angry about everything. And they're screaming <laughs> and there's like mosh pits and you know, hey man, fires I, starting. I, I went to a Metallica concert a couple years ago. But see, I and don't, there was a, like a sort of a mosh pit there. Yeah, but see, is Metallica? Metallica's is like, not death metal. Yeah, that's just like but hard just rock, metal. right? Yeah. Hard rock metal, yeah. And I've been to it, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I think that would be the one for me. So I don't know. But, but, okay, I, I, but don't think, like, see, I don't understand why you're concerned about that because you're like, a, you're 6'5", you're a big dude. A, a mosh pit is nothing to you. I just you don't would think just, I'd fit it'd in. It'd be fine. Like, um, for me, a mosh pit is bad because, like, I might seriously injure myself. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, I have a low-key answer here. A classical music thing. Like a symphony orchestra I think I would just thing? be, yes. I think I would just be bored. Well, that'd be fine. I would just, I would just go to sleep. That thing. would be so disrespectful. Everybody would, really would be though? like, yes. Imagine if you start snoring. Well, I don't snore, so that's not a problem. Yeah, maybe you do in this situation. I don't know. I know I don't snore. Dude, that, that'd be disrespectful. You can't do that. You can't fall asleep. You Dude, can't. I can just tell them I'm resting my eyes. I can pull the dad car. I love, I love... I uh, love... Dude, it's... What do you mean? It's like soothing music. Well, you, I'm, you can't I'm fall asleep? I'm supposed to not you're, fall no. asleep? I'm no, supposed to not close my eyes and go to sleep. How would you feel if somebody came in here and was like, hey, can I can I watch you guys do RCST live? And they fell asleep. <laughs> You'd be like, great. We put him to sleep. We bored him. <laughs> okay, but no. But like classical orchestra music, that's like one of the things it does. So what's the problem? So the, Exactly. So you can't go. So I don't think that would work. What? I love the sound of violins. I could see a violinist. I couldn't do like the whole thing. I don't think if it was like like if it was like an hour, I could get I could do it. If it was like three <laughs> hours, I would uh, yes, I would get bored. I would get tired. I'd fall asleep. So I couldn't do that either. I think falling asleep is fine there. I don't think so. This okay. one from John. You can put one. This this is the one we were talking about yesterday off air. Yep, yep. You we can put one inanimate object on your basketball court now as part of home court advantage. So basically. Everybody's home like, court. You pick an item or an object and you put it wherever there. you want. Yeah. What item are you choosing and where does it go? Okay. I have a lot. I mean, my mind just went all over the place. There's so many options here. Okay. The first, I think the number one option that I like, well, I have two actually. Actually, Trampoline, first of all. You yes. put a trampoline just right in front of the free throw line mm-hmm. at both ends and instantly everyone can dunk. Instantly guards can get rebounds. You just jump on the trampoline and grab the ball out of the air. It would just make the game really exciting. Trampolines right in front of the free throw line. That's that's number one. Number two, trap door. You put a trap <laughs> door. <laughs> Where does he drop to? No, that's the thing. You can move it around. You put it oh. in different spots. So who controls it? Mm. No, it's like it's like spring loaded. Okay. So you just tell your team where it's at, and then you know. So you put it like at the top of the key or in the corner. All the players are like tiptoeing around. <laughs> They're like, oh crap. I'm going to fall. Okay. Another option I had was marbles. Mm-hmm. You put marbles all in the paint so nobody can play in the paint. <laughs> so here's what you do. So you would just build your team around not Correct. having yes. a good you, paint team. You put, yeah. marbles, you, you put marbles in the paint, and then you only recruit three-point shooters. Yeah. So I had I had a similar idea but different way of going about it. I was thinking, like, put, put one of those big Seguro cactuses, like the giant ones, <laughs> in the middle of the paint, like right by the, the hoop, so that if you wanted to, like, try but, to – Try to get a layup or try to post up inside. You're gonna get stuck on a cactus. Okay, wait. I just had an idea though. Uh huh. If you do that, it's basically like you have a six man out there. Yes. What if you just did that, but put him at like the top of the key, and you just get a free pick and roll? It's like oh, a six offense. on five pick and roll. That's you see interesting. What I'm saying? 
So yeah, you could just have like a pole somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then you run it. You can just run a screen off of it work. basically. But you're but then you still you're playing five on five still. Well, where this gets tough, and this is something we were talking about off air yesterday, is that if you if it's an item like the cactus, for instance, where it's it only on one side of the teams. floor. On one half, you're going to have a great half. The other half, you're going to have a terrible half. So is it really a home court advantage? Maybe it is because you get to practice against it, but I don't know how much that helps you. I also think, do you remember the uh, the theory, or, or I don't even know, theory is like too strong of a word, but like <laughs> this guy on, I think it was Reddit, came up with this idea. He was like, what if four players just locked arms in a circle and the fifth player is Steph Curry in the middle so, so his teammates are locked arms around him. Oh, so if anybody tries like, to run so into them, like the they get fouled for running the, through the like screen. It's like the basketball version yeah. of the flying wedge. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like the flying V from uh, yeah. Mighty Ducks or something. Yeah. And, and yeah, so they're in a circle and they just build a big enough wall around him that he can always just get his three-point shot off. So okay. what if you would there be an item that you could like in the same light of the the pillar or like something that creates a pick and roll, you just always have something in front of Grady Dick that he can get an open three. Um what if you like created some kind of contraption that he would wear around his waist <laughs> and then it had like a little wall that stuck out and stuck in okay. front of him? Like a glass wall. Yeah. So he yeah. could still see through it and then he could Oh, uh, what if that what if it was just I mean? like one of those in uh glass wall mazes? To the navigate court? the court. And so you as the team. Dude. No, no, this would be genius because the team would know the where, ways like, to go. Where to go. And you would change the maze every game before the game. So as the, <laughs> the first 10 minutes, you would blow them out every time because the first 10 minutes, they would just be trying to figure out where to go. I don't think the court's big enough to effectively execute that, though. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, last That'd idea I had was, mm-hmm. um, when you know when you go to an arcade mm-hmm. or when you go, like, best loops have them, it's like the net. That brings the ball down. If you yeah. miss, it brings the ball straight back to you. Okay, have basically that on the basket, and then you don't have to rebound. The ball just comes to you. You just instantly get rebounds. Again, this is great for when you're on offense, <laughs> but it's terrible when you're on defense. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's an ultra plus, plus minus. I also think it'd be funny if the paint was, this is in the same light of the cactus and the marbles one, was just a pool. Like the painted yeah. area was, was yeah. water. Yeah. But that would be cool too because that I think what would be different about that than the marbles and the cactus is that you could still jump and try to dunk. You would or not lay be able to in. dunk. Well, no, you could just, I mean, just from outside the lane, you can dunk. Oh, okay, from, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then after you dunk, you, you drop down and fall in the water. <laughs> but then you'd be well, slipping how deep and sliding the water up be? and down the court. Um, I guess we go one of two ways. Is it a moat? Does it have like alligators in it? No, I, I okay. What if you just I want, build I a moat like a around one of the baskets? I want like a five foot pool. What if you just build a moat around one of the baskets? I like that too. Or you just have a giant. Wait, no, genius! A conveyor belt. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Or how like this works. a no, like a uh, a treadmill, basically. Like, but the, like the ones at the half the court is a treadmill. Like the ones at the airport. Yeah. So, like so you if can you run get really on the fast, right lane yes, of the court, you're going yes, really fast. Yes. Yes. Okay, I actually love. I think yes. that's the best answer. I yes. think we found it. There's the answer. He's Nick Springer. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU mailbag for the day. We're going to get on to a uh, college basketball midseason betting update. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. we got High School Sports Weekly at Burgers by Biggs happening 6 to 7 o'clock tonight. You can also hear it on KLWN. Tomorrow night, we got High School Hoops. Pre-game 520 for the girls' game. As a Free State going to the road to take on Olathe West, boys' game will be a little after. Saturday, we got KU basketball against Iowa State, pregame 9.30, tip-off at 11 o'clock. We'll also have the uh, KU basketball game on Monday night, Big Monday. And that certainly emphasis on the word big with KU taking on Texas 
And we have the KU women's basketball game on Saturday, pregame 345, tip-off at 4 o'clock, KU at home against 24th-ranked Texas. Derek, Big Monday implies that there is a little Monday. Mm. That's true. Does it not? I think there is a little Monday. What is it? Just when... It's not a big game? When it's like, no, when we get past... Because Monday Night Football, I think implies it's a big Monday. I think okay. I think Monday Night Football is big Monday for the NFL, right? Um, sure. Then we have big Monday, which is college basketball, right, with the Big 12 and everything. Sure. I think once college basketball season ends, big Monday then is it, no... It's a little Monday. It's a little Monday. Yeah. That'd be funny. They're like, you know, see, tonight, but, but, watch this MLB game. It's <laughs> little Monday. See, that's what I'm saying. They don't add... They don't... ESPN doesn't do anything for little Monday. Well... They only care about big Monday. Correct. That's but, kind I of mean, messed up, I feel like. Why no, don't they I, I, why don't I mean, they give equal equal attention to Little Monday? If if you have the largest water slide in the world, okay, and you have the smallest water slide in the world, which one are you gonna advertise? I think the smallest water slide no. in the world would be equally as interesting. <laughs> no. Wouldn't that be crazy? No. How small would it be, first of all? I don't like, know. Very small. Like, It'd be like a children's well, it toy. It has to be long or, enough for you to actually get yeah, on the slide. Yeah, you have to slide on it. I mean, you'd be doing nothing. So, like... No. Not, a, But, dude, if it's like a straight drop... No. Like a straight... You know, what you know what I'm saying? That's like being like, well, you know, I can get the really good steak... Like jumping off the curb? Or I can just have, you know, pork butt. Um, Which one do you want? It's like, of course, you want the really good steak. I want Big Monday. I don't want Little Monday. <laughs> Wow, so you hate Little Monday is what you're saying. I guess. Man. Because at that point of the year, there's not as many good sports on. So it is a Little wow. Monday. Wow. That's okay. Little Mondays are for uh, for movie nights, catching up on TV. That's okay. that's the beauty of those. Um, okay. So KU football has quite the big commit. Now, this, uh, th- this quarterback, Isaiah Marshall, different rankings depending on where you look. But one of the sites, which is Rivals... He is the highest-rated quarterback commit from high school since the Rivals database started in 2002. So, I mean, that's... Big deal. Yes. Big deal. Now, uh, off the top of my head, I believe Dane Christ and Jake Heaps would technically be higher quarterback rankings, but those are transfers and those are different. You know, those are kind of like retreads. Yeah. Um, uh, very big deal. Very big deal. And even if you look at like 24-7 sports, like I don't know if he would end up being KU's highest rated quarterback commit, but he's a top 25 quarterback, which uh, that's still a very big deal. Yeah. You don't see those guys picking KU out of high school. You just don't. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big deal. And uh, for, for those wondering, this is a class of 2024 commit. Yes. So yes, yes. He, this is, he's a junior in high school right now, and then he'll have a senior season. And then in the fall of 2024 is when he would be coming to KU. So, you know, still a couple of years off. And obviously for KU in the short term, you still have Jalen Daniels, and you have Jason Bean, and you have Ethan Vasco as kind of your next long-term guy. But then it, it looks like Isaiah Marshall is going to be uh, the type of player that can be that next quarterback in line. And I think the reason this is so significant for Kansas is like getting other top commits for KU, like top like higher-ranked commits for KU is big. Uh, you know, whether it's the transfer portal or whatever. But the reason this is particularly huge is because, A, quarterback is the most important position on the field. And, B, what was kind of the the overall bottom line of why Kansas struggled so much for the better part of 10, 12, 13, 14 years? It was the constant turnover and upheaval at the quarterback position. There was They didn't have, in that, in that entire time period, basically since Todd Reesing, 
there wasn't really anybody that was really able to solidify that position for more than what, like some games here and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carter Stanley's maybe the closest thing you got to it. And even then he, you know, even his, his career was kind of up and down. So you look at Jalen Daniels, you look at the foundation that, that they're building with Jalen Daniels. You hope that will continue with a guy like Ethan Vasco when he gets his chance in a couple of years. And then that seems like this will be the next guy to, to kind of carry that torch. And when you have a top flight quarterback, it makes everything else easier. It really does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you feel covered. Now what's weird, like I'm looking at, so on 24-7 sports, he's their number 23 quarterback. I mentioned on Rivals, he's their number nine. The 24-7 composite, though, he's 38th. So it's like, who's who's lagging behind in the rankings here? ESPN doesn't even have him rated. So ESPN, who notoriously consistently has like the worst high school ratings because they don't put like time and effort into him, is just logging down that ranking. Um, this kid's really good. I, uh, you know, I... I'm not somebody who watches every high school game or watches all this kid's tape. I, I saw some of the highlights. He looks really good. Uh, the stats, great. I mean, 2,700 passing yards in high school is really, really good. Uh, 27 passing touchdowns. He had um, double-digit rushing touchdowns, over 1,000 rushing yards. Similar size to Jalen Daniels, six foot, about 200 pounds. Well, and I think also he, he's a Detroit guy, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. I'm pretty and sure he's based in Detroit, which kind of furthers that pipeline, so to speak. 100%. Um, so... Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, obviously, KU, Rich Miller from Detroit, and he's done a good job bringing guys in from Detroit. Kalen Gervin from there. McCaskill. Lorenzo McCaskill yep. was originally from there. Um, one of their top high school commits for 2023 is from there. Chris Simpson, who is from the Detroit area and has been recruiting that, like the linebackers coach for KU, has, uh, you know, he's he's done a really good job in that area. And I guess Isaiah Marshall knew Rich Miller and Lorenzo McCaskill. And kind of leaned on them to help make a decision. So uh, that 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 certainly helped that you had that tie. And yes, like you said, that that kind of continues the pipeline there. Um, I think when you look at what this kid could be, like I I know KU staff is going to adjust to whatever they have, and I think that'll continue to be true. But when you have the opportunity to get a really good player who happens to be a, a perfect fit for yeah, exactly, exactly what you're doing right now, yeah, that's awesome. And so I I don't know what the future beholds. Like, you know, in 2024, is Jalen Daniels going to have a great season in 2023 and go off to the NFL? Is Jalen Daniels going to be back for another year? I don't know. Um, and then if Jalen Daniels is back for that other year, like, who wins the quarterback battle? Isaiah Marshall eventually, or is it going to be Ethan Vasco? Because I, I think the staff is still very high on Ethan Vasco, but you feel good that whoever wins that job, it's not just a default, oh, we have two quarterbacks, somebody had to win it. Yeah. It's like you have two talented guys. Somebody's going to win it. And uh, I I shot Kevin Flaherty a, a message earlier this morning. Um, and I, I said, you know, because sometimes with, with high school commits, like you never know what the ranking's about. Sometimes politics go into I I texted him. I was like, is this kid legit? All caps responded, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a big get. It's a very big get. Yeah. Yeah, no, it certainly is. And I, and I think kind of to your point we just mentioned, David, it's – how many times has there been quote-unquote quote, quote quarterback battles with Kansas where it was that notion of, well, somebody, somebody's somebody got to play the position, right? Like, that's you, you you feel pretty confident that that's not going to be the case anymore. You're going to have strong competition between some some talented guys that are going to lead your offense. And, and again, I just kind of circle back to the one thing that, that Lance Leipold preached all offseason and even into this season, which is 
the staff loves having competition. They love having internal competition with the different position groups, and this could potentially just add to it if you bring in a guy like this and he has an opportunity to work in. Hey, listen, if Jalen Daniels does stick around, I think they're going to have an overlap here where if yeah. Jalen Daniels stays for his what would be his last season, Isaiah Marsh will have a chance to learn under Jalen Daniels, basically. So there's a lot of positive uh, ways that you can look at this. And but yeah, I think I think the biggest is, again, as you said, to kind of lead off the this discussion, these types of players don't come to Kansas. And that's kind of changing now when you have somebody like this who, you know, he's not a he's not a five star guy, he's not a four star guy, but even still, you know, this is a, this is the type of player that probably wouldn't choose Kansas in the last 10, 12 years. So it's a huge commit, and I think it just furthers also your confidence in the stability that Lance Leipold and his staff are bringing to Kansas. Obviously, they have the re- the resigned contract. Like this, this is commitment for the long term. And I know I've had some thoughts, and I'm sure other KU fans have, these, have continued to have these thoughts, like, is Lance Leipold really committed for the long term? Like, it's almost hard to accept, you know, because of how many years of which that hasn't been the case, right? And I don't know, every everything that keeps happening continues to point to, yes, this is going to be a, a real long-term relationship with Lance Leipold and KU and building KU football. And so that's all just, that's all just very exciting. Yeah. I mean, look at this kid's offer list. Michigan. So... He, he avoided the in-state school who's really good. Now, now maybe at a school like Michigan, if you know, you're not be, the number two quarterback in the class, you might yeah. go like, oh, man, I've got this other competition. I don't know. Uh, but Boston College, Pittsburgh, who, you know, Kenny Pickett was just there. They went to a New Year's Six Bowl in, in 2022. Uh, Maryland, like, there's some other legit schools here. So, very big gift for KU. And now you look at the class of 2024. It's only two commits right now. But, like, two legit. I mean, you look at 24-7 sports. We always talk about that. It's a big deal when Kansas gets a top 1,000 recruit. Like, usually yeah. in a given class, KU might have somewhere between two to four or five top 1,000 commits. Isaiah Marshall's top 500, and their other commit who they already have in tow, Red Martell, who's a running back, he's top 500 too. So they have two top 500s already. Those are the two commits. Yeah. So I, to begin with, don't really care about where Kansas is ranked in the recruiting rankings unless, you know, if... If you're ranked in the top 30 or you're ranked in the bottom 30, like that's either really good or problematic. But for the most part, Kansas is going to get it done with their player development and the transfers they bring in. So if you're ranked 40th versus ranked 65th, I don't really care. It's not that big of a deal to me. But if you are starting to continue to get top 500 guys, like that's a very big deal for a staff that we know uh, certainly develops at a very high rate. You can listen to the big game on KLWN next Sunday. Coverage will be brought to you by Victory CDJR. I can never say this right. Victory CDJR. They are the Victory Auto Group, but specifically they have the Victory CDJR. It's the Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram CDJR in Ottawa and are now the new owners of Victory Chevrolet and Victory Ford in Garnett, Kansas. Tune into the big game next Sunday right here on KLWN. Uh, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we got a lie detector test. You might be asking, is Jerome Tang on there? Yes, Jerome Tang is on there. We'll discuss <laughs> next. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Welcome back into RCST High School Sports Weekly at Burgers by Biggs. Comes at you from 6 to 7 o'clock here on KLWN. Got to get to another edition of our lie detector test, though. First up, we'll just start with it right off the bat. One Jerome Tang, the head coach of Kansas State. He was asked about the uh, rivalry with Kansas. This is in the post game after the uh, KUK State game earlier this week. Quote, I think it's great for the state of Kansas in college basketball. 
I'm trying to, basically him saying on it being competitive, I'm trying to really learn the history of the rivalry and what has happened over the course of time. I know that up until 1988, K-State had more conference titles and final four appearances than Kansas, so I know there is rich history there. People told me how close the games with Kansas and Iowa State used to be at the old Big 8 tournament and how fun and entertaining they were. I hope we can bring that type of competitiveness game in and game out. So again, he said that as of 1988 or up until 1988, the K-State had more conference titles and final four appearances than KU. In what sport? In basketball. It is very factually incorrect. (laughs) So this is is a pretty easy lie detector test. Yes. This is clearly not true. Yes. He, like, okay, so to be clear, the, um, the... Distance in the amount of Final Fours and conference titles KU has now than it did in 88. Like, yes, K-State was much more competitive up until 1988. They had the Bob Boozer squad in the 50s that took away a chance at a title for Wilt Chamberlain. They had the team in 88 that played KU in the Elite Eight. They were really good at basketball, and it was a lot closer, but it still was KU. Since that point, KU has dominated. But let's not forget, since 1980 is a... I mean, that's 35 years, so... Uh, you yeah. know, you can't just like discount 35 years of history. But even then, yeah. by 1988, I, I I don't even know. I like just to be clear, lie detector test. Normally, we ask the question: Are they lying or not? Yes, he is lying. Now, the question is: Was he fed false information? Could have been, or is he Did just he lying on his or, own? I yeah. don't know. Prior to 1988, KU had seven Final Fours. K State had four. If you include 1988, Kansas goes up to eight. K State has four. So again, it's it's close-ish, but. KU's almost doubling them up. You have double, yeah, you have double. Conference titles headed into 1988. Kansas had 38. Kansas State had 17. Oh, that's not even close. No. That's not even close. Dude, unbelievable. That's like saying, like, yeah, as of 1969, I think the Chiefs had more Super Bowls than almost any other team in the, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go. I'm well, yeah. with it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, good. Of yeah. course. So, Jerome Tang, clearly in some form or fashion. I, I do tend to like Jerome Tang. He seems like a good dude and everything. But, um, yeah, that's that's a lie. Either he was fed a lie and repeated it, or, you know, it's like a game of telephone. Or maybe that's what it was. He, he was told that by people like, yeah, they, they were really close, close in, the, in 88. Yeah, 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 and he yeah. took that as, you know, oh. they were more successful or they had more of this or that. Uh, so, lie. lie detector test, that clearly a lie. Uh, our next one, this comes... From the whole city of Philadelphia, from earlier today, okay. there was a picture of the you know the Rocky Balboa statue that uh, yeah with his hands yep. up and stuff. Yep. There's a picture of a tank top, a, a red tank top with Sharpie penciled on that says "Let's Go Chiefs," and it got hung on there. And so people in Philadelphia are upset, being like, "You're disrespecting us," and um, now we're going to use this as motivation in a positive light. Travis Kelsey responded to the to one of the tweets. Um, he said, nice try, Philly. Chiefs Kingdom has way more class than that. Clearly a Philadelphian with a Sharpie. So who is lying <laughs> here? Is that actually a Chiefs fan who put it up, or did Philadelphia put it up to cr- try to create? Well, that's funny. Before you even read the Travis Kelsey response, in my mind I was like, this seems like something a Philadelphia fan would do. Because, again, to then rile themselves It is up. not an actual Chiefs shirt. It is a red tank top <laughs> with Sharpie. Written that says, let's yeah, go I mean, Chiefs. It would actually be a real Chiefs jersey or real Chiefs, yes. I think. The other part of this is, Rocky Balboa is not real. <laughs> He's fake. 
Who cares? He's literally not real. He's fake. Well, he's real in a certain sense. No. I mean, the movie really happened. Like, it didn't happen, happen, but like, the filming of the movie what? really happened. You know? What? No. <laughs> no. I don't agree with any. I don't even know what you were trying to say, but I know I don't agree. Like, the movie is real. It's a tangible thing. It didn't actually happen in real life, but it is something that is That's real. That's all I needed to hear. It didn't actually happen in real life. Period. End of story. Mm hmm. He's not real. Okay. So who cares? Okay. Um, but yeah, I think Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is lying. I think this is a Philadelphia thing to try to try to get them riled up for no reason. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy Reid. He mentioned that the ankle injury Mahomes was dealing with. This was last week. Isn't nearly as bad as the one he dealt with in the season opener against Jacksonville a few years ago. After seeing the game, was he lying to maybe preserve preserve his quarterback a little bit, or do you think he was being honest? I think he was maybe being kind of honest. I don't know. The thing about this is like, I feel like with something like this is like, the day that Andy Reid said this, so whatever media day they had, you know, Monday, Tuesday, whatever, mm -hmm. it might have been true. But what if it like flared up later in the week or then, you know, or whatever, right? Like I, and I don't know. I think this is one of those ones where Andy probably wanted it to be true. So he just said it maybe. But then, you know, Mahomes, he was definitely not 100%, but he was moving around and he was running around like a maniac. In the game, so well, I don't know. I'll give a pass here, Andy Reid. Mm. I think so. What do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a pass as well. I, I uh, don't know. A it soft, could be even a soft pass. Yep. Uh, Mel Kiper, ESPN's Mel Kiper believes Stetson Bennett will be drafted in the third round. <laughs> By who? <laughs> Dude, like, come on. He's 25, 26 years old. He's not going to be a third round draft pick. It. Yeah, he's old. Well, yeah, he's old, and also just not very good. He's not very big. Like not very big. It, I, I don't know. I what think a he, team will draft him I probably, mean, he, he like brings, in the sixth I or mean, seventh round. Like, what know. does he bring to your team? Like a, a winning pedigree, I guess. A fun story. Mm -hmm. But like, is he ever gonna? I mean, is, I mean, like, is Stetson Bennett even in a position where he could become like a Chase Daniel type? Where he's just a backup. Yeah. Could he but that even, guy's not worth a third round could, pick. Could he even reach that level though? Do you think? Hmm. I'm not even sure Chase Daniel is that good, to be honest. <laughs> I think he's just lived the life. But like, so yes, I do well, think insert so. Insert name here, Chad Henning. But yeah, if you're going with a good like who's the who's the best like backup quarterback? Tyrod Taylor? That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Like who'd he be no, I don't think he's that good. No, probably not. I don't even know who else. What are the backup quarterbacks? I don't know, that's a good question. Tyler Huntley's going to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> So, I guess he's the best backup. he's the best backup. Of all time, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Debo Samuel is on a lie detector test this week. He was asked about playing in Philadelphia and their environment. He said, we know it's going to be loud, but no stadium is as loud as ours at the end of the day. Obviously, they didn't end Dude, up aging well. They lost the game, but. These types of comments are just <laughs> so stupid. Like, just be like, oh, yeah, you know, they have good fans. Whatever. We're ready. We're prepared. Like why? Like I don't even understand what. What do you, what do you even stand to gain by making a statement like this, other than to just look like an idiot when you're wrong? I don't know, but like, like what's the point? Nobody talks about the 49ers stadium as being like loud. No. In fact, I no. feel like it's the opposite. I don't think it's loud at all. No. I I don't I don't I don't know. Philadelphia is like objectively one of the louder should, environments. Like we should go happy. around to every single stadium with like a, a decimal meter thing, <laughs> and and then we should then we can definitively rank 
Loudest stadium to least. Mm. Loudest. I feel like San Francisco would be on the leastern half. You think so? Yeah. All right. So who are you gonna? Can you can you pay for me to go do that? Uh, no. Go to every single stadium and do the decibel meter. No, maybe the station will. I will not though. Okay. Uh, Bubba Watson, pro golfer. Dude, this is wild. Jeez. <laughs> This is wild. He shared a reason, one reason why he signed with Live Golf. This is a uh, a long. It's a answer, long. But, yeah, um, it's long. Basically, he said, "Well, so what I mean by that is, I had surgery, and my son is sitting with me in bed. And how I signed up with Live is, my ten-year-old son was sitting in the bed with me, and we were watching golf on the TV. And he knew the aces. Everybody knows the aces. Talking about the uh, Las Vegas Aces here, the WNBA team. They keep winning." He knew the aces. He knew the stingers. He didn't know individual names. He just knew the team names. And for a 10-year-old to never watch the game of golf, but now watches it, now knew that there was a product to be had. Actually, wait, is the aces, is that? I don't know. I thought this was the Las Vegas aces. Maybe no, he's talking I, about, Yeah, I. they have I, teams in the Live I, Golf I, Tour? I was also confused I don't know what the this. stinger is. Okay, maybe these are teams in the Live Golf. I, I, I don't know. So he's maybe, saying that he uh, actually I, knows who the teams are. He said, Live has a nice niche. It has a reason. My son is used to the Yankees. He's used to the Dallas Cowboys, Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, he's used to watching teams, and that's the one thing that golf, high school golf has a team, college golf has a team, and then one of the biggest events in the world is the Ryder Cup, and it's a team event. Now the professional golf has a team. We're going to be able to get the below 60-year-olds to watching Golf Channel to the 10-year-olds now wanting to watch. I think we're onto something with Liv, and that's why I want to be part of it. When my 10-year-old never watches golf and now watches golf, and my 8-year-old daughter now understands the teams, she knows my new logo. She was a part of it. And my family was a part of making the new logo and the new team colors. That's what we're trying to do. To grow the game is not getting the 60 and 7-year-olds to play. It's getting the young kids to play. That's what I meant by getting the young kids to learn the game faster so the game is on good growth pattern over the next 10 to 100 years. So I think there's multiple lies <sighs> in here, but there's also multiple truths. Yeah, there's a lot to break down here with the lie detector. Yeah. So uh, we'll start here. First of all, the use of the clearly the, the statement of he knew the aces, he knew the stingers. Yeah. We didn't even know what that was. We didn't even know. Yeah. So clearly, other normal people probably don't know. Probably not. The only reason again, he knew is because he's your son. If he's watching it with his dad, like he might have known that. What? What? Here's what. Here's what I never, I never believe. When what? somebody is like, and people do this as a joke now because of the people who are like, my eight year old son just said this, despicable. Like, oh blah, yeah. Blah. You know, like, I, I doubt there is this much impact. Like, this yeah. is him. I, I don't know, over-embellishing, essentially, on the 8- and 10-year-old thing. I sure. also don't believe that the logo is designed by this 10- and 8-year-old. Um, I also don't really believe that a bunch of 10-year-olds are now going to watch golf if it's a team event. I don't. I don't agree with that either. Yeah. Now, the one thing I do believe is that there is something cool about the team aspect of things, and I don't think golf should go to a full team thing, but I could see if the Live Golf Tour has success there. Like, we've seen other professional sports learn things from the smaller leagues, and I could see them adding in a tournament or two during the year where they do have more team events well, if it has success. What I don't success. understand is, is there are plenty of sports that are not team-based sports, and they are still fairly successful. I mean, yeah, I don't having a team is not like the requirement for your sport to be successful. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I don't really know... I mean, and if you're taking the angle of, like, well, teams will attract more younger people. No, like, I don't really agree with that either. Like, personalities is what draws people. Yeah. You know? For sure. So, like, I don't know. But, I mean, I guess, listen, the end of it, where he talks about how he need, how young people need to get more interested in golf for it to continue to grow. 
Sure, that's fine. Yeah, that's probably true. But I don't think the live golf with the teams is yeah. like revolutionizing getting young people to watch golf. The biggest lie in all this, though, is him saying this is the reason he went to the live golf tour. <laughs> As if it was, wasn't the money. Yes, it was the money. It was the money. It was the money alone. Everything else is moot. Uh, last up, Ichiro. So this was in spring training of 2017. Ichiro was in the coach's room looking at his cell phone text messages, told the coaches about one message he had received from a number he didn't recognize. The guy said he'd gotten Ichiro's number from Alex Rodriguez and that he wanted to come meet and study his stretching system. What's the guy's name? Asked one of the coaches. Ichiro strolled to the end of the text. Some guy named Tom Brady. Who the F is Tom Brady? <laughs> you think he actually doesn't know who Tom Brady is? I, I say yes. Is, I think this is think the truth. Yeah, it's the truth. I think this is the truth. Yeah. You would think it's I just mean, so absurd, but he's yeah. probably you know, Ichiro is probably not somebody who really pays much close attention to football. Mm -mm. You know, I mean he's a baseball guy, obviously. So I think this is probably the truth. I think so too. I mean, I, it's just an example of you can have guys that are so dedicated and so engrossed in whatever they are doing that they it's like the horse blinders. Mm -hmm. you know, they just don't even they don't even know they the, like the idea of conceiving of a world outside of what they do is like almost impossible. That's that's to me what yeah, this is like. I think so. I agree. It's just funny. Who the f is Tom Brady? <laughs> well, and like in 2017, like at that point he'd already won what six Super Bowls, yeah. five Super Bowls. Uh, yeah, six I think. Right? <laughs> so, or maybe five? Yeah, yeah. So like, that's insane. You know, if this was like 2006, okay, sure, maybe. <laughs> But, like, I mean, at this point, he'd already probably become one of the most popular athletes in the U.S. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our lie detector test. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.